It's good to see you. It's so good to see you. I'm glad you're here. Uh, thank you for all the birthday wishes. I know on Facebook, one of our staff members, uh, to remain unnamed, uh, mentioned something about a certain candy, and you have blessed me so much. Um, and uh, that's part of my fast, so you've blessed me and you're killing me. Um, so I think at 12 midnight and one second, um, there shall be some partaking. Um, I'll be like, the Lord has declared the end of the fast, and it is time to get into those Reese's peanut butter cups. But I'm glad you're here. Our focus, uh, not just for January, I don't, I don't want us just to think that, oh, this is the January thing, and we'll go on to the February thing. Our focus, and I would even say not just for 2023, but our focus as Christ followers has to be heavy and have a heavy en- emphasis on prayer. And I think a lot of times we just, we relegate prayer to the last resort, And we go, all we can do now is pray. Well, this is what the doctor said. All we can do is pray. This is what the counselor said. All we can do is pray. This is what the court order is saying. And all we can do is pray. And I just want to challenge us that that should never be our last resort, but always our first action. It should always, because as Christ followers, prayer is our main communication with God. And and I, I would contest that if there's no communication, there's no relationship. I mean, you look at any relationship that has dissolved or, or, or just, just exploded, it would start with a lack of communication. And then also being careful in how we do communicate to one another. I mean, we, we've gone through this series, and I think a lot of times we really come to God and we're like, we give him our grocery list of prayers, right? This is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want. And we treat him more like Santa Claus because we're giving him our wish list and not the God of the universe, the creator of everything, and the one who has saved our soul from the penalty and the weight of our own sin, and he desires to be in a relationship with us. When we get that in the proper perspective, it changes how we talk to our Father. And through this, through this series, we've talked about different things. And, and I, I really think an important part of our prayer life is reflection, remembering. You know, people will say, I, I meditate or I, I get silent before God. And, and th- there's, a, there's something incredible with this. It's, and it's not just listening that we talked about last week, but it's reflection, It's looking back on the goodness of God. It's looking back on the faithfulness of God. What I've learned is when I I look back and I see how he's moved and I see the great things he's done, it really spurs on faith in the moment and then lets me see his faithfulness then will be his faithfulness in the future because that's his character. He doesn't change. And and, and these times of remembrance are, are important for us to know that even through difficult times, God is good. And we're going to look at, a, we're going to look at a, a scene in Scripture in the Old Testament. Go to Joshua chapter 4 if you've got your Bible. If not, you can follow along on the screens. But in Joshua chapter 4, there's, there's a major event getting ready to happen. It, let me give you the background on it. So, so when you go to Exodus, you've got the nation of Israel. God had made a promise to Abraham in Genesis. And then in Exodus, you have the nation now in, in Egypt. And they had grown. They had multiplied. The promise of God was being fulfilled through generations. And now they're, they're, their number is so great that the Pharaoh of Egypt is nervous about them. So he enslaves the people of Israel. And then God raises up a leader after 400 years named Moses and says, you're going to lead my people out. So you have the Passover and you have the angel of death passing over in the, the houses with the blood of the lamb that was on the doorpost. The angel spared and that was Pharaoh's last straw after all of the plagues. And Pharaoh said, get out. 
So the nation of Israel starts moving out, and they come to the Red Sea. And there the people of God start complaining, have you brought us out here to be, be killed? Because we can't cross the sea, and now Pharaoh's changed his mind, and he's coming to kill us. Were there, were there not enough graves back there that they have to kill us here? And God commands Moses. He says, go speak to the waters. And when you raise your staff and it touches the water, the waters will part, and you will pass through. And God created a barrier for the Egyptians and the people of Israel, the Hebrews, the, the Jews, walked through on dry ground. When they get to the other side, God commanded Moses, close up the waters. So God calls Moses, Moses closes up the waters, and they're all drowned. There's great celebration. There's songs of praise, and our God is mighty. Our God is a warrior. Our God is for us. And then they start moving through the desert, the wilderness, right? You know when you get in the wilderness, you kind of, it, it's easy to complain because life is difficult in the wilderness, so they start grumbling and complaining, and Moses gets tired of it. And God commanded Moses to put water to, to strike his staff and draw water from the rock. And Moses steps up and, and he gets he gets angry and he gets prideful. And because of his actions, God tells Moses, I will show you the promised land, but you can't enter it. And so now you've got the nation of Israel, and then well, and then they get to the promised land. They send spies in, and they come back. Ten of them said, uh-uh. Two of them said, uh-huh. And because of the ten that said, uh-uh, then God says, okay, your entire generation will die off, and you will not see the promise. So where we're at in Joshua chapter 4 is the nation of Israel is getting ready to cross the Jordan River, the boundary into the promised land. And in Joshua chapter 1, it tells us that Moses is now dead. Moses is passed on, and God has raised up Joshua to take his place. And God says, my favor and my blessing, my anointing will rest on you to lead my people. So then jo Joshua is preparing them to go across the Jordan. And, and, and what I love about God is when he calls us to something, I, I, God kind of like ups the, the ante a little bit, you know. I, I, I know he's passed on, but I used to love Evil Knievel and the stunts that he would do. And, and he, it, it always had to be bigger, right? Oh, I did that. I jumped this tower. I got to jump some more. And I think God likes to do that with us. Like, okay, I've called you to the precipice of a promise, and now I'm going to up the stakes because the river you're about to cross, it's at flood stage, which means it's overflowing the banks. When I was in Israel and I saw the Jordan River, I was like, man, that's, that, that's not real big. And then I asked our guide, so what would that look like, like in historic times, biblical times, at flood stage, when he goes, well, there's things you have to consider. He said, with all the population drawing water out of the Jordan, the river has shrunk a little bit. But he said, in that time, the river at flood stage would be at least 10 times as wide and raging. So now I got some context. And God says, you're going to cross. But what, and so God says, you, the only way you're going to do it is by me. But then he changes it up, right? Because the people who had heard the stories of Moses, like, oh, so Aaron's going to just go up. He's going to put his staff in the water. It's going to part. We're going to go. I've heard the stories. And God says, uh-uh, I'm changing that up. He said the priests have to put the soles of their feet into the water. And sometimes God's calling us to a bigger step. He's like, show me how much you're willing to follow me. Get your feet wet. You know, don't just, don't just dip a toe or expect when you put the staff in, don't just stand at a distance and touch it. He says, I want you to enter in. I want, you to, I want to see you committed to the promise that God has in front of you. And so they do. They step in. And then this is where we pick up in Joshua chapter 4. 
says, uh, says, when all the nation had finished passing, passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man. There's 12 tribes. And command them, saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly. So they're standing they were standing in the water. They got out, and they were almost in the middle of the Jordan. And he goes, the rocks that they were standing on, I want one man from each tribe to get in there and get a rock. He says, you're going to bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Just a side note, where they lodged was a, a town called Gilgal, which was eight miles then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulders. It's not a pebble, right? I mean, I'm walking around the Sea of Galilee in, in Israel and I, I find a, a, a rock. Like, I, not a stone, a rock, right, that could fit in my pocket. We got to go to the Valley of Eli. And if you don't know what the Valley of Eli is, that's where David fought Goliath. And when he was going into that fight, he reached down in the brook and he picked up five smooth stones. So our whole tour group, and I think every person that's been to the Valley of Eli since then, looking for stones, right? Well, I found me a stone. And so I, I, pick, I got five stones because I wanted to bring them to five people back home. And then somebody stole them on the bus. And it was a Christian trip, y'all. <laughs> They were all Christians on that bus, and somebody stole my rocks. <laughs> it felt like Forrest Gump, sometimes on and up rocks. But, uh, but these were rocks. He said, you rested on your shoulder, not something you fit in your pocket. Not a memento, but a memorial. That's what God is commanding here. He says, you take up the stone on your shoulder according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. Hmm. God's saying, I want you to remember this moment. I want you to mark this moment. God is building this memorial because he says, whenever you pass by this, it should spur some thoughts. I just think, I think when I think of times of reflection and what God's called us to do in reflecting, man, I, he's saying with these stones, let it sit. He's like, you got to carry the weight, feel the weight, remember the weight. Right? They, they, and, and they didn't just take it across the river. They carried it eight miles. I mean, when, you, when you try to carry something heavy for, for a long time, it, gets, it, it, get, it feels like it gets exponentially heavier, right? And we don't even have to be talking about stones. Some of y'all have been through some very deep experiences, very difficult experiences. And God has laid some things on your shoulders. In the middle of what God was doing, in the middle of the difficulty, in the moment where you had to trust like you've never trusted before, where you've prayed like you've never prayed before, where you have believed like you've never believed before, and you have walked in faith like you've never walked in faith before, God will set some of those stones on our shoulders. I was sitting in my office and just kind of doing some reflection. And God showed me some, some, some of the stones around my office that I have. I like little trinkets. I mean, I, I like them. I, I got the rocks. I mean, I got, I got little communion cups. I have a lot of crosses. I have, I have a lot of these things. I was like, and, and, but God pointed out two in particular that really just kind of hit home for me this past week. I looked up on my bookshelf, and there's a framed certificate. It's my ordination certificate. 
That was the moment that I stood before a church and they recognized my call into full-time vocational ministry. And I think about all the faith and all the struggle that Heather and I went through to make that transition. See, I, I, I didn't come out of college and go into ministry. I was in the corporate world. God had to really do a work of redemption in me and, and some sanctification in me to get me ready to be standing in a place like this. And I started thinking about the challenges that we faced to leave a job and, and to trust God. Like, God, I'm leaving my job in corporate America and I've got to trust you. And as I look at that, it's a memorial in my office to remind me of the goodness of God through that season of my life where he radically changed the future for me and for my family and for so many that I've gotten to connect with. And as I'm sitting there just in awe of God and feeling the weight of ministry that I have to carry, I look at my hand and I see something shiny. I look at my wedding ring. And the moments where Heather and I were like, I don't know how we're going to do this. People say we're too young to get married. People saying, I, I don't think this should happen. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's going to work. I don't think you're going to make it. And the weight of that and having to trust God. And, and, and marriage is hard. And there, if, if, you, if you're on the front side of marriage and you're, if you're engaged or if you're newly wed, you know, let, let me break your bubble a little bit, okay? Because I love doing that. It's not happily ever after. I mean, once the honeymoon ends, there's real life on the other side of that. And there's real decisions. And this, this process of becoming one flesh just doesn't happen when you stand at the altar and you go, I do. <laughs> because part of becoming a one flesh means an old flesh has to die. And the moments of my selfishness, and I think back in our marriage and the challenges, and as I was reflecting on my ring, I noticed all the scratches in it. And I was like, every one of those scratches tells a story. But almost 30 years later, I'm more in love with my wife than when we stood at the altar. She's my best friend. She's my soulmate. She is the other part of me. She, you know, it, I could not do life without her. But this ring, although it's light on my finger, reminds me of the heavy weight as a husband, as a father, now a grandfather. That not only am I responsible for myself, but my wife, her sanctification, my children. No matter how old your children get, and they move out, and they move on, you never stop being a parent. The weight of praying for my grandchildren and I think there's times that God says, you need to feel the weight of that. You need to carry that weight. And some people go, well, Jesus takes all the weight off. No, no, let me show you what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew, he said, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest for your souls is what some translations say. He said, take my yoke upon you. Okay, yoke, it's a mantle. When disciples in the first century wanted to be a rabbi, they would find a rabbi and say, I want to be your disciple. And by saying, I want to be your disciple, it means I want to follow you. And I want to follow you means I want to take your yoke, your teaching upon my shoulders. So Jesus is like, 
there's a weight that I am putting on your shoulders. He says, it's easy. My burden is easy, right? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. It doesn't mean it's non-existent. And there are times we need to feel the weight of following Christ. And so when we walk through the river, when we walk through the valley, when we walk through the wilderness, and God is, he's miraculously supplying all of our needs according to his glorious riches. He's, he's filling our faith. He's giving us vision. He's given us things in the wilderness that we don't get on the mountaintop, that we don't get when times are good. I think God loves us too much for it to be good all the time. Otherwise, we would become spoiled brats. Well, I've never had to face adversity. We've got to face adversity. That's what strengthens us. That's what challenges us. And, and I think God is saying to these, these 12 men of these 12 tribes, like, let that weight sit on your shoulders so you remember this. And then it moves on from there. It's not just, it's not just to feel the weight. It, it becomes a guide. So we got to let it sit. Then we got to let it guide. Because there's a purpose that God said to, to, to carry these stones and to set up this, this memorial, this monument. When he says, I'm sorry, I went back to Joshua chapter 1. I was about to teach a whole new message now. <laughs> he says, when your children ask in time to come, this is verse 6. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? You don't give an opinion. Well, here's what I think they mean. I mean, there's a lot of things I come across, and I can come across some really screwy explanations for a lot of things in our world. God's saying, you're gonna come, I'm commanding you to teach him the truth. You shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. That's the presence of God. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off so that these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. A memorial tells a story. You go on down to verse like um, uh, 21 uh, it says, and when he said, this is Joshua speaking to the people of Israel, Joshua commands them. He says, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea. So you're going to tell the whole story, which he dried up for us until we passed over. Look at the reasoning. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. God says, set up a memorial because there's going to be times when you need strength, when you need to reflect on the mighty hand of God. Then you need to reflect that God is God and we are not. When he says fear of the Lord... um, we tend to associate uh, a definition of fear of like, you know, uh, afraid, right? Like I, I, I'm apprehensive. I'm, I'm, I'm in fear of what's behind that door. You know, look, think of a child. I'm in fear of what's under my bed. I'm in fear of what's in the closet. I have fear and I don't want to be in the dark. But listen, there's another explanation. There's another definition, which means a respect and awe. God says, when your kids, when the next generation is like, Dad, what are these stones for? Mom, what are these stones about? What's that monument for? Well, that's where, that's where the Lord, the one true God, the Holy One who created everything, 
This is where he brought his people into his promise. And we are a part of that promise. This is where he parted the waters. And you tell the story of the awe of God. How many of us have those, those little, those monuments, right? We, we wear crosses around our neck. Do they just become a piece of jewelry or do they become a monument? Why do you wear that cross? Let me tell you why I wear this cross. Because this cross is where my Savior bled for me. This cross is where my Savior let the weight of my sin sit on his shoulders. So this isn't just a piece of gold. This isn't a piece of silver. This isn't just a necklace. This isn't just a, 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 an accessory. This is my life. This is my eternity. And we tell the story. And he says to the next generation, faith cannot die with us. I mean, we talk about well, my, my faith is very private. My faith is private. Eh, it's got to get public, y'all. It's very personal, very personal. Yeah, it's personal because God has touched your life because he's, he's asked you to be his son, his daughter. He's, he's offered the spirit of adoption to you. So yes, it's personal, but it can't be in secret. If we don't teach our kids about the precepts of God, how do we expect them to walk in it? My hope for the next generation is they take the gospel even farther than we could ever imagine. And the next generation, and the next generation, if you notice, and, and this is something I see, as, especially as they get older, but I will look at a younger generation, I'm like, they're punks, man. <laughs> and the generation before me looked at me like, they're punks, man. What are we going to do? We're going we're we're to leave all this to them. Yes, you are whether you want to or not. So the question would be, how are you equipping those punks to take the mantle to let that weight of ministry sit so that they can carry it forward? Remember, they got to the Jordan and because of their lack of faith, an entire generation missed the promise. I don't want an entire generation coming up behind us to miss the promise, to miss the goodness of God, to miss his faithfulness. And listen, parents, it's just not up to the church. We got an amazing next-gen ministry. I mean, our children's ministry, you know, preschool, nursery, elementary, middle school, high school. Look, none of that is just babysitting. None of that is just, hey, let's have fun and party. No, we are intentionally teaching your children the gospel, what it means to follow Jesus, what Jesus has done for us. I mean, even in the nursery, I mean, they, they're, they're, they got teaching, man. They're, they're teaching even infants that, that God made you, that God loves you, and God has a purpose. But it's not just up to the church because, listen, uh, this might step on some toes, but let's just talk about it, okay? The average church attender in America says they're regular if they come once a month. So that means our, our, our service roughly an hour. So once a month, we get 12 hours a year on average with your kids. You get that many times over in a week. Our hope, our goal is not to do discipleship for you. It's to come alongside you and help equip you. But you got to be in the driver's seat of it. That's, 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 that's how it works, y'all. 
I mean, so many people I meet that you're in church now by the grace of God, praise God. But your story growing up, my mom dropped me off at church on Sundays. My dad would just drop me off. He'd go out the back door and he'd go do his thing. And then he'd come back and pick me up. And what you did is you followed the exact discipleship model that was in front of you. It's time to break that generation. And let's get intentional about using these memorials to guide us and our children back into faith and that relationship with Jesus. We don't have time to play around. It guides us back to faith. And listen, just because God says, I'm bringing you into this promised land and I promise to give you and everywhere you set your foot, I will give you. It's not without fights. It's not without challenges. Eight miles from the crossing of the Jordan was Gilgal, which was just a couple miles from Jericho, and that was the first battle. Y'all know about the battle of Jericho, right? They marched around the walls, and the walls came down. There's got to be a song about that, man. I mean, there's Father Abraham and all those other songs. I'm sure I can probably dig it up somewhere in the back recesses of my brain that there's some kind of song about marching around the walls of Jericho, and then we give a shout, ah, and the walls come down. If there's not one, I just wrote one, and we're going to teach it to the kids next week. A child wouldn't want to do that one in church because you get to yell. But they had to fight. And they had fights. And they had fights. But that memorial, listen, was a reminder in the fight. My God who was able to dry up this river, he stopped it on both sides and heaped it up and dried the ground for us to walk on. And he said, get some stones out of that and set it up. When you're in the middle of that fight and when you're in the struggle where your faith is being tested, where there's just challenge after challenge and you just feel like, I don't have a hope. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. You look back at those things to reflect on and it guides you back to the heart of God when he says, I'm good, I'm faithful, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. And I lead you. If you will follow me, I will lead you into this life that I've got for you. But there's going to be some battles. Too many people, they, they, they accept this gospel where Jesus is here to make their life perfect and, and just like change the soundtrack of your life from a dark minor key to this, ah, zippity-doo-dah. And about 38 seconds after you accept Christ and the devil comes in to attack you, you're like, well, I ain't doing that. You need to look back. This tank. Some of y'all, what I love about baptisms, we all get to celebrate. Some of y'all going through some struggles with your faith and doubt. This is, this is a monument. This is a memorial. Nothing about this water saves us. But this is a memorial for us to celebrate and remember that that baptism is a symbol just like Christ's life. He was buried in death, and he was raised to newness of life. That's the miracle, the camel going through the eye of the needle. That's, that's my life as Matt is dead and gone, and he raises me up as the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5 tells me, that he no longer looks at me and my sin and my mess and my filth and my wretchedness, but he looks at me and he sees his righteousness. And I need to remember that because let me tell you, I can get so wrapped up on how much I've failed God and think that my performance for him is what creates his love and acceptance for me. And I need moments like this to look back and go, huh, he saved me. He died for me, even knowing everything I would ever do wrong. And he loved me that much. So it guides us back. And what happens is when it, it guides us, right, when we see something like that, man, we're not just shouting for somebody else getting baptized. It stirs us to worship. 
right? Because when he says, when you tell this story and everybody can know that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord, your God forever, that stirs up worship. When I look at my, see, the battle of Jericho, the first battle, I think this was, <laughs> this was strategic of God. I mean, he does know everything, so he's that good. But he didn't say you're just going to go get a battering ram and knock the gate of the city down and then go in and fight. He says, I'm a, I want you to walk around. But then he tells him, I want you to lift up a shout of praise. And when they lifted up that shout of praise and blew the trumpets, look, the walls, they didn't have to have a battering ram. The walls crumbled to the ground. So when we look at those, those stones that they pulled out of the river, the Jordan River, that should, when they, when they walked by that, they, should, they start worshiping God. God, you are good. You are amazing. You are faithful even when I'm not. And it just sparks that worship inside of us. And it draws us into the heart of God because worship, what happens is it starts to change my perspective. It changes how I look at my situation because some of you are standing at the precipice of the promise and that God has in front of you. And he's saying, I need you to take a step of faith. I need you to put your feet in the water. Let's get wet. And so you take that step and then he starts to move. And he says, you're going to set up memorials along the way. Now, let me say this though. There's memorials, not trophies. And these memorials can, can turn into idols if we let them. But God says, you set up a memorial to remember my goodness, my faithfulness, and my power, and my glory. Not set up a monument for yourself like, look what I did. I accomplished that. I got, I got those in my life. And when I remember those, God reminds me, hey, that's going to burn up like wood, hay, and stubble. You know that. I mean, I got box full in my attic of all my trophies and all the hard work for a little fake marble base, a little thin plastic stand, and a plastic thing on top of it. And God says, that's going to burn like that. So it's not our trophies. It's my monument, monument to his goodness. It stirs praise. Listen, if you're struggling... If you're struggling on what to reflect on, let me, let me show you something. I'm going I'm to grab something here, so follow me on this. There you go. Reflect on this. This is where my Savior let the weight of my sin sit on his shoulders. And through his resurrection, the power of the Holy Spirit guides me into a relationship with him. And because he saved my life, I will worship him all the days of my life. And I will go into glory worshiping him. And when I've been there 10,000 years, I've got no less days to sing his praise than the moment I began. God pointed this cross out to me in my office because this is a cross I got in Africa, my first trip to Africa. It reminds me that the gospel is for all people. It reminds me of my call, not as a pastor, but as a Christian, a Christ follower, to go into all the world and make disciples. And I've gotten to see a lot of people get saved over there. And I've gotten to baptize a lot of people over there. I started thinking, I've gotten to see a lot of people get saved and baptized in Fort Worth. 
I think about the goodness of the cross, the power of the cross. I do think of Isaiah 53, that on him, on Christ, was laid all the iniquity of man, of all of us. In that moment, he absorbed the wrath. Even, even Peter in the New Testament says he bore, he bore this on his body. He bore the sins on his body. He himself did that, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By this, you've been healed. I think of Jesus' words in the gospel. It says, if anyone would follow me, let him take up his cross daily. Deny himself and come on. To deny myself and to take up my cross means there's a weight that he's saying for me to bear. If you're struggling with what to reflect on, let the weight of the cross, let that weight show you his power and show you his might, show you his goodness and show you his grace. That Jesus did not deserve this, I did. And Jesus took the full weight of this so I don't have to. When I see a cross, it reminds me of the goodness of God, of his power, his faithfulness, his love, and his grace. Not just to all of the world, but to this mess of a man. Let's remember the goodness of God. God, you're good. You're amazing. You're powerful. You're wonderful. There's so many things that we could say we could... List adjectives to describe you until, you until you come back and we're in your presence, until we have nothing else to say, but it still wouldn't get to the end of it. You're good. And God, I pray that you help us recall your goodness. May we never forget what you've brought us through. May we never forget the river crossings, the valleys, the mountains, all of that. May we never forget what you did for us on the cross, Jesus. You call us to remember. These stones are connected to this cross because it's your promise for your people. Help us to see clearly that in our remembering. And let the memorials that we set in our life tell your story that we're faithful to share to the whole world so that the whole world bows in worship, reverence, and awe of you. And we pray all this for your glory. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.